This week's episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Town. By leveraging their years of experience working with startups, Developer Town is able to help companies better understand the viability of potential software solutions and quickly bring them to market. Developer Town has created proven sprint to market processes so large enterprises can move like a startup. You can find out more at developertown.com slash powder keg. Again, that's developertown.com slash powder keg. Developer Town, start something. I look at life as solely based on relationships and who you spend time with, and I optimize for it. And so, like, that's all I think about. And all day is like how to add value to, to someone that no one else is adding value to in that way. That's why I never ask a marketer about marketing or a sales guy about sales. Like you'll learn, you'll learn if you're close enough with somebody by observing. Yeah. But you gotta get close to them first. That's Shane Mack, the founder and CEO of Assist, which is the platform that brings automated solutions to the world's best brands like Charity Water, 1-800-Flowers, and Lonely Planet. But what does that exactly mean? Assist is a free travel and shopping chatbot for SMS and Facebook Messenger. And you know what? They've been doing chatbots since before they were cool. In fact, Shane and I recorded this interview at the Assist offices in San Francisco at a very interesting time in the company's history, right after they closed a big round of funding in early 2016. Now, Shane is a unique CEO, and I love the fact that he and his company have had a lot of big wins to celebrate since the company's founding. But one thing that they never celebrate is closing a round of funding. That's distinctly unvalley. That said, few people build relationships and raise money as effectively as Shane. So in this conversation with Shane Mack, you're going to learn about finding and utilizing mentors effectively. And you know, Shane has some incredible mentors that we'll talk about how to get people interested in investing in your company, tons of tips on fundraising, including why you shouldn't ask for money when raising a round of funding. And we're gonna get into so, so much more. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and you're listening to episode 32 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, a show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators who are building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. And as I mentioned, Assist is based in San Francisco. So you're probably thinking, Matt, what gives? That is in direct contradiction to what you just said the show is all about. But you know what? The information in this show is too valuable not to share. Besides, Shane is a Midwest guy hailing from Illinois, and we actually met in Omaha, Nebraska at a conference named Big Omaha. And I'll tell you what, Shane's approach to business has some very distinct Midwest flavor. That's what I love about him. And it's actually allowed him to thrive in Silicon Valley. So I wanted to share this story because Shane has just an incredible track record, and we caught him, as I mentioned, at a very interesting time. In addition to co-founding Assist, Shane is the founder of Ask, where he's interviewed some of the world's most influential people. He's also an angel investor and the author of a book entitled Stop With The BS, which really captures Shane's entire attitude around business. He helped build Just.com, which sold to BlackBerry. He founded Hello There, which sold to K-Squared Labs. He led product at Zarly.com, which has offices in Kansas City and San Francisco, and he built product at Cobalt. We've known each other for years, and Shane just continues to build bigger and better companies and products. So we dive right into it in this conversation. Here's Shane Mack. All right. We are here. Fireside. We are, What's up? We are sans fire, but... Um, we are here in your, fire, brother. In your you offices at Assist, man. Dude, these are sick digs. Hey, thank you. Welcome here. 
Well, Shane, you are uh, originally from the Midwest. Uh, you've always worked for some Midwest-based companies, uh, venture-backed companies out of the Midwest. Kansas City, right? That's Is that true? Isn't uh, is Zarly isn't based Zarly? out of Kansas City? Wasn't it? I don't know. No one really knows where Zarly was based. Fair enough. Uh, it's, it's I was the, always based in San Francisco. Of course. I think we had headquarters everywhere. Yeah. We were in New York and wherever but, people wanted us well, to be. Well, you were San Francisco by way of Seattle, right? That's correct. Well, one of the things that's um, that's pretty cool, we grab drinks, just so people here know, we grabbed drinks together a couple nights ago, and I think we talked maybe for three, four hours about pitching, the art of pitching, the art of raising funding, uh, which you just closed. Are you allowed to say? Uh, we did a Series A in May. You did a Series A in May. So, a yeah. significant Series A. It was good. It was a good uh, round from 12 investors. Binary Capital led the round. And uh, yeah, we've raised 5.5 million total. Cheers to you. I mean, we don't really celebrate fundraising, but I'll cheers just because it's... I really love that you qualify that, man, because it is is definitely uh, a milestone milestone along the way, but uh, not necessarily the end goal. Yeah. I mean, that's why you didn't read about it, right? Like we don't... I've been there before. We've raised $15 million at A rounds, $18 million B rounds at the last company. And everyone internally got addicted to the press around fundraising as a, as if it was a success metric. Mm -hmm. So we just don't celebrate it. We find core metrics that you can look at daily that are human, that if it was one or a million, you can feel good about. So we have people help per day and thank yous per day. And on our platform, that's it. So you can look at it. If it's five, I'm like, who five? Oh, that's cool people. (laughs) And it it keeps you motivated by the right things. And so we don't talk about it. And the only, you know, if this gets out, maybe someone will write about it, but we, I'm not like hiding it. It's just not what we care about. It allows us to have a chance. And so I think you get there after you've done a couple and you've raised or watched your CEO raise rounds. And then you realize how much it doesn't matter for the success of your company. I think in some ways it definitely matters, right? In terms of the being able to hit those hyper growth metrics and continue to grow, um, especially in something like... It doesn't matter if you tell people about it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. 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 It gives you the chance. Without that, you don't have the chance. I just wanted to qualify because people are watching this uh, particular video because they want to know how to do the fundraising part so they can get back to the business part, uh, getting to the thank yous, getting to whatever metric they're measuring that really matters. It definitely gives you the shot. And to be honest, we didn't really have it figured out and we still don't have it totally figured out. Like we're just getting started. But we were able to keep our seed round. We haven't even touched our Series A. We're still in our seed round. And so, you know, being in Silicon Valley, people burn a lot of money really fast and they raise more money. And I have a different stance now. Like, we're very frugal. We made the seed round last a long time. Yeah. And it was the only reason we got to do the A rounds because we didn't need it. So it was very much like I love the investors. They're some of the best in consumer. And we were lucky to kind of both agree on where we're going. Well, you know, it's interesting because you just closed this round of funding and um, you did it without asking for money. In fact, your perspective is you shouldn't ask for money, which seems totally counterintuitive, right? Uh, so, th- so I want to make sure you have a chance to talk about that because I-, I think it's the counterintuitive things that usually have the biggest leverage for entrepreneurs because not everyone's doing them. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to go into... Th- my philosophy on how I think the easiest way to easy is the wrong word because fundraising is really hard, but the best way to raise money, if you have the relationships built is to not ask for the money. All right. So we definitely going to come back to the building relationships part because you're, you're very good at that piece, but yeah, walk us through the process. So, uh, I just had these two things that I like to talk about during fundraising. 
for most people, that is their first time. Mm. I think it's one, getting to watch two of the best CEO fundraisers, I would say, that are both my investors now, um, as well as... And who are those guys? Uh, T.A. McCann, who's the CEO of Gist and now the CEO of, uh, it's called LifeWell. Yeah. And then uh, Bo Fishback, who was at the Kauffman Foundation. Uh, so he's been on both sides of the table. His job is like to give away $100 million a year. That's all he did. <laughs> and then he was the CEO of Zarley. And so watching him do the whole fundraising process as well. Both great guys. Yeah, they're amazing. Uh, and I think after watching them, I kind of took the best of both of them and molded it into just what would work for me and kind of how I think about things. But what is really interesting of anything, like if you go in asking for it, you want something more than they want you. Yeah. And I believe I've kind of watched over time that it's easier to raise more money than less. Interesting. Yeah. Those are my two points that most people, when I hear them first time founders say, I'm going to go raise just a little bit to get started. Yeah. And they say the feedback and advice they get is just go ask as many people as you can for money. And I think it's like ass backwards. Yeah. You can waste a lot of time doing that. Yeah. And so what I say and what I did and really have just always done in the last, you know, this was my first go around as CEO fundraising, getting these rounds done. And it was really about how do you set out a timeline to fundraise if you have a product and team. So if you don't have those, don't ever fundraise. Because in technology, like people are like, I have an idea. I wouldn't. This is this doesn't subscribe to any of those people. Yeah. If you have an idea, then go sit in your basement, and get a paycheck for somewhere else, and find a way to build it. If you've built it and you think that you have something and you want to start fundraising, the way that I think about it is never go ask for money. I basically have angel investors and seed investors. Angels are people with checks, five to twenty-five thousand yeah. dollars. Seed investors are people that write one to $400,000 checks, usually. More funds, they usually have to ask their partner, stuff like that. The goal is to get one of them to bite and lead the round. So what I do is the only thing I ever ask is I go meet people and I send them my product and I ask them for feedback. And then all I ever say is, can I keep you in the loop? It's the only question I ever ask. How, how do you send them your product? Like what's, my, my guess is usually that you- Usually through an intro. Yeah. Through an intro or the reality is I was only able to go do what I did mm-hmm. because we had a product, which was a testament to my co-founder, uh, as well as seven years of building relationships. Yeah. So for seven years, I've been just sending feedback on products and investments and being helpful. And I never had an ask at all. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to have 85 meetings in the month of January for our seed round. And it closed with 22 investors. Like that only happened because seven years led up to it. Yeah. So the reality is if you don't start there, then you don't have anything. Yeah. But that's a whole different thing. But, We're but talking you still about, had 85 meetings. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, but that's kind of the only way I operate is like, it's go time, go. Yeah. And, uh, but I go in and I say, can I keep you in the loop? And everyone says yes, mm-hmm. obviously. There's like no risk, right? Right. And then I have a really, really strict format and I have a three month timeline. And for the first 90 days, or the, for the first uh, 45 days of the 90 days, all I'm doing every week is showing that we can make progress, we can ship, and that more people are interested. So by them saying, keep me in the loop, I add them to the interested list. Okay. Right? And how often are you sending those updates? Every week. Okay. And I- Particular day, doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. Uh, and I say high level, mm-hmm. kind of what's new, progress, what's shipped, how we think about the space, 
if anyone's joined the team or interesting has happened, always show progress, no matter what. Yeah. Can you keep moving forward and make the list of people interested grow? Because the only reason people really invest is because they see someone on that list that they actually want to invest with. It's not like it's about you and it's about product. And then those are the check marks. Yeah. And then it's who else is in this game? So are you are you actually CCing everyone on the same email? BCCing, usually. BCCing, okay. At this uh, point, you're not you, wanting you to mentioned, like, you know, who you, you mentioned see who else is on that that list. So my guess is that you're that's just written out. That's that's the written out part. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that that portion because it seems like uh that could be a um, potentially backfire situation. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm <laughs> not like CCing everybody. CC everybody on a so you take that and you say just keep keep giving the update weekly. And you, you're not raising money right now. Just make sure that you keep them interested and show progress. And the goal is to go find a seed fund that wants to lead the round, mm. right? But if you get into like game theory manipulation type shit, what happens here is on the angel side, you're like, listen, I have a ton of angels and I'm probably raising in a month or so. Yeah. Uh, and you want to just get as many angels that are helpful, really. Like they call it smart money or, you know, money that sweats is what like people call it. Yeah. The other side is if you want to like really be in a, not, this isn't like human manipulation, but you tell them that you have enough angels and you really don't want to take seed money because it comes with a lot of like baggage. Sure. It comes with, you know, more partners, more opinions, more money, uh, more leverage that they have. And you How do you say that without offending someone? Uh, you, you just tell them like you're a really interesting firm and I have a bunch of angels and I'm probably just going to do angels and do a lower amount. Any good investor wants to do more money than less. Right. Once they make the decision of, yes, I'm in on your company, they want to buy more of your company. Sure. So the reality is more money to them is not, oh my God, they're giving me so much money. It's they're buying more of your company. Yeah. So then it's all a valuation game. But the minute they want to do it, you can go from, I'm just going to raise like 350, 500, you know, to like they do 500. And then you're like, all right, we're going to raise a million and a half. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you do it without offending anybody. You just talk through it, right? You're like, I'm probably just going to go angel route. Keep it simple. Just notes. Explain and then, your reasoning. And honestly, a lot of people do. And yeah. it's not wrong to do. And maybe that is your motive. Sure. But to it's a, it's a one strategy to get someone who you tell no to jump to want to do it. Because mm -hmm. you're not asking for their money. Right. The minute you do that, um, and you know, a guy, Dennis Phelps, his was just more random luck for me. And I didn't say any of that. He was just like, I'll fucking leave this shit now. And I was <laughs> like, all right, hold on. And he was like, 250 on my terms, 500 on your terms. Or no, 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 500 on my terms, 250 on your terms. And I was like, uh, I don't really need your money. I'll just take the my terms. Yeah. And so then he was like, all right, $250,000. I'll lead the round. He's the general partner at IVP, which is one of the top four yeah. in all the Valley. And I was, and he invested in Snapchat and Twitter B rounds, like big boy. And I was like, all right, sure. <laughs> and then uh, he was like, all right, well, you got to get two more investors in the next five days in on the round to get to 500K or I won't lead the round. Wow. Yeah, that pressure story is on. That story is insane. Let's talk me through it. So I'm at my mom's house in Pekin, Illinois. Okay. And I have my iPhone 5 with me. Yeah. I don't have anything else. <laughs> and I'd met with Dennis That's here in the city. That's a bold move. Yeah. I'm Fund, in, fundraising mode with well, just Well, I wasn't in fundraising no mode. Laptop. I was really like, I was in the beginning of like, we'll just kick it down the road. So February is what I was thinking. Gotcha. Okay. And I talked to TA a lot. He's like, yeah, let's move to February. Think about that. And I never asked TA to invest either. Just gave him the updates. Yeah. And he finally said, like, I want to play. And then he invested 25K. Um, and I get this call from Dennis. 
and I'd had a meeting with him and then I'm with my dad, December 26th, day after Christmas. Mm. The rules of fundraising are don't fundraise in holidays, don't fundraise in December. And, uh, also if ventures available, take it. <laughs> That's like the key. Yeah. Uh, so Dennis calls me and he's like, I'm, I'm outside this bar in Pekin, Illinois. It's like, Hey, dude said, you know, 250 on your terms, 500 on my terms. I was like, dude, I'm not fundraising right now. And the problem is that's the truth because I don't want to time box anyone else and say, Hey, well, you have five days over Christmas to decide. Right. That's kind of bogus. Right. So he's like, all right, well, you know, I have a thousand companies that want my money next year. And so I realized what he wanted was this 2013 tax incentive yeah. to invest. Okay. Uh, and basically he's like, all right. And so I was like, shit, man, I'm like taking like an amazing investor who everyone would follow. Cause but, the key is get somebody who everyone loves and they, the person get someone that everyone wants to follow because they missed all their investments and everyone missed Snapchat and Twitter. Right. Right. And so you knew, I knew that Dennis would draw everyone. I was like, I would, my job is done at that point. Right. It's totally high school politics, right? Yeah. And so he calls me in and then I call back. And then the reality was I didn't have a company corporation. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a bank account I had nothing. We hadn't even started yet. We just built a product. <laughs> we had a real product and it was in the app store. People could download it. Sure. But we hadn't made it a company. I was yeah. just kind of fucking around. And I was still at Zarley. So I had called Bo and I said, here's a situation. He was my boss, right? He's right. my CEO. And I've been doing it for four years together. And I went to war. And I was like, here's this scenario. And I'll only leave if you'll invest. And he's like, I'll invest. I think it's a great idea. Go do it. And I think it's, he's like, I think it's time for you to you know, be your own CEO. And so I was like, shit. So that gave me all that gave me like the confidence to be like, fuck it, I'm in. Yeah. So I called Dennis back. I'm like, well, what's the deal? He's like, all right, dude, I'm in Whistler, Canada. I don't, I can't wire money over two hundred thousand dollars. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send you a check, overnight FedEx on Thursday. This wow. is Thursday. We have to do it wow. by Tuesday. I'm gonna send you a check for two hundred fifty grand. And he's like, it's a quarter million dollars. And if you don't get to five hundred grand by Tuesday, and you can't close the round this year, just rip up the check. Wow. And I was like, really? It's like, fuck. So I call the attorney. I'm like, hey, can we do a corporation backdate at six months with founder shares, actually issue equity and stocks so that we can get this real company by tomorrow? And he's like, that's crazy. And I'm like, well, okay. I didn't ask if it was crazy. Is it doable? He's like, I mean, it's going to cost you. I'm like, whatever, fuck it. Let's do it. So we do that. I call the bank and I'm like, hey, I need a bank account to wire half a million dollars to. And the bank was like, no, no, no. We got to go through like escrow and you know due diligence. And do I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to call Wells Fargo. They call back <laughs> and they were like, they were like, hey, here's a wire link and it's an escrow account and we'll figure it out. I was like, all right. And I called up one other guy I knew wanted to invest, Ken, who saved our ass. Ken invested 200K with all his partners and he didn't get back to me until noon on Tuesday. Oh my gosh. So we had to close by 3 p.m. like uh, central time. And then I get uh, one other guy I emailed and I'd met him a couple of times. We always had a good coffee together, Galen Buck Walter. And he's a founder of eHarmony. Mm. And it's just like the most thoughtful man ever. And I wrote him this email that said, uh, interested question mark. And I wrote out like, listen, this is completely ridiculous and I'm probably time boxing you, Yeah. but I'm going to price the round. I'm going to issue equity. We're not doing notes. I think it's silly to do notes as well. It's a whole different story, but we're going <laughs> to price the round. We're going to issue stock. Mm -hmm. And if you are interested in this like tax benefit that Dennis wants, then, or, and working with me, then maybe we could do this and I need 50 K. And he writes back, he's like, can't believe you thought of me. I've always wanted to work with you. That's amazing. 
and we closed it on Tuesday. That's crazy. So that was the first 500K, and then we did wow, a, a million. to the wire, man. And then we did a million. No pun intended. We did a million uh, more in January. So we did a $1.5 million seed round. That's great. Yeah. So point of, point of that story is like, I need a dentist to bite. Right. And I got lucky that he did. Mm -hmm. And then once he did, the rest of it was just sharing updates every single week, showing progress. And then the email template is now Dennis is leading the round. Here's the people interested. Yep. Let me know if anyone else is interested out to the group. And then you start getting back like, save 50 for me, save 100 for me, save 50 for me. And then you, next week, boom. Like, yeah. Just let everyone know. Just blah, 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 blah. Here's why I'm so excited about these investors being involved. And you just continually tell your story of why other people are interested in you and product progress. Yeah. And team. So what happens, um, what happens when you have a week where you didn't make the kind of progress you wanted to make? There's always progress. Sure. That's the truth. Okay. It doesn't have to be that you shipped another product. Right. It doesn't have to be that you hired somebody new. Well, it doesn't have to be client. that a new investor is interested or you land another client. Uh, it could be as much as you discovered something you never thought about in the market. You did research on competitors and you think like uh, you have a better way to do it than them. I mean, there's always progress. Yeah. That's the only thing you can control. And do you share, the, do you share the failures and the and the hurdles as well in those updates? Um, now I share, once you have investors, it's very different. That's right? different than keeping people updated on the progress. Totally. And like, here's where, we're, I said, like, what are, what are we doing? What have we done? What do we need help with? That's mm -hmm. TA's philosophy. And what do we need help with is very honest. It's like, we need this. Had to fire somebody, you know, we're hurting here. We're missing out. And so uh, that's very different than showing progress. Yep. And I think bef before you form a partnership and get investors, it's about showing progress and that you can ship and people are excited and just really showing momentum. Then it's about realities of like, you guys are partners now and you have to like get this done. You should share what you're weak at and how they can help and, you know, really get them on board. And the more honest you are, the more they want to help and the more they trust you. It, it seems to me that the, the equity you're developing early on is just trust. For sure. And that's something that I've seen you in particular. I mean, so we met at a conference in 2010 and have stayed in touch ever since, randomly running into each other on the streets of San Francisco or whatever city we might happen it's to true. be in. Um, and, and every time uh, I, I feel like not even that you're trying to earn my trust, but I trust you more, one, because you're honest and, and transparent about you know, what are the hurdles right now? What are the challenges? But at the same time, you're sharing the progress that you've made previously, whether that's with your, your startup company or with your music. And so that's one of the things that I, I think is probably your superpower is in developing relationships that are founded on trust. Can you talk to me a little bit about your sort of philosophy on building genuine, deep relationships? Because you mentioned at the beginning of this, you've got to have the relationships before you even go down that path of raising money, or at least with your strategy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's because how I was raised or DNA or it's that Midwestern uh, gene. what it is exactly, but I, I've kind of, you know, I think about it a lot of why do some relationships turn out much better than others? Why are some very close and some aren't? Uh, I definitely blur the line of professional and personal more than anybody else. Uh, I love first meetings when I meet people being the underdog, mm -hmm. like there's a reason I wear flip-flops and a chucker hat. <laughs> it's mostly just because I don't want to be judged as like someone who's important. Yeah. Um, but then I spend all my time on two things really, which is uh, 
how do I ask personal, really deep questions that make people uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Like Andrew Warner really does that well. Yeah. And, uh, Andrew Warner of Mixergy. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's become, he's one of our investors. He's yeah. an amazing guy. And, uh, he, he's really good at, you know, he, I was at a dinner one time and he said like, how'd you lose your virginity? fuck i don't know like <laughs> let me think uh but he does shit like that right and just kind of brings people together but the other one really is i'm always the one to take myself out and i always share like the shit that sucks and i feel like especially in this area it's like everything's great everything's rosy yeah i'm the one that gets people to talk about the things that aren't rosy the things that do suck the things that are bad because yeah. i'm the one to shoot myself in the head first Right. Which is also a very good negotiation strategy because if you walk in and you take out yourself on all this shit you guys are doing bad, they can't ask any fucking questions. Yeah. Like you've already like told them the truth and they trust you more because you're fucking honest. So it's all like a self-perpetuating thing. Like if you're just brutally honest of what you think you're like scared to share, you're like, oh my God, like if I share, no, no, no. Whenever you think like, oh my God, if I share this, you fucking share it and you'll be like, wow, they're fucking on my, now they're on my page and now they like me more. Can you give me Which an is, example of when you've done that? Uh, I mean, I do it in like every scenario I'm in. So, uh, I don't know. I feel like self-deprecating is kind of just like my natural DNA and I just kind of like, but also an insane confidence that my mother gave me. So I'm like, but fuck, we're doing it. Here we go. Let's just do it. I'm like fearless wicks mixed with that. How do you balance that out? The, that self-deprecating, you gotta, you know, you say you gotta take yourself out before they even have a chance to. Cause I always start here. And then I go to the things that I'm really excited about and the things that are really positive and how we've grown and where we've gotten mm-hmm. to uh, and how do you motivate and get up. But you always got to start with being relatable, right? Right. And relatable is not superhuman. Yeah. Relatable is like, damn, he's got a lot of problems too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I just, I think about that, of like how to, how to get on the same level with people in a way that draws them in versus you're pushing yourself on them. Yeah. And, and so we talk a lot about the way you present yourself. How do you draw them in how do you draw them out uh, as you're developing relationships as you're getting to know someone uh i stick to the personal side i only do things when i know it's in the vein that is on the something personal they care about mm-hmm. uh an example would be brian johnson the founder of braintree yeah he's become a good friend of mine that's awesome and the reason is because everyone probably goes to that guy and wants to talk about like world changing health ideas because this fund is insane. He like only funds companies that uh, are extending life form and shit, like crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah, no, inspiring but everyone, guy. Everyone goes to him like asking for advice, money, shit. And I was like, and he just gotten divorced. And I was like, this guy probably just wants to like meet new people, go have fun. Like, let's walk around the city. Where should we go? And like, let's just talk about dating. Yeah. And all we did for a day is walk around this fucking town, had some drinks and got deep as hell on dating, on relationships, on why it's hard, on why it's, why aren't we settled down? Why do people get divorced? And you tear down someone in the divorce realm and really go deep there with them. Yeah. Like that, that was the trust bond. Once we had that, then we got into a lot of other things and you know, we don't work together. He's not about, he's just a friend, but we've gotten to where like, you know, now all we text about is dating. Yeah. It's great. That's awesome. Well, and you said, you said the word, uh, tear, tear down, which is not your intent with people. It's to get to the core of someone's pain point, right? Like when, when you're getting to know someone and understand their pain point, or just break down the barrier. Yeah. Everyone I'm, has a wall. Absolutely. Right? Tear down the barrier. Uh, 
find out really what makes someone tick. And, and I think that the thing that you do really well is, and I've experienced this uh, just myself. I'm trying to think of some examples. All the times that I like manipulated you. No, not I'm, even. I'm kidding. Not even manipulating. Um, which you probably did too. No, I'm just I kidding. I've, I've uh, never asked you for anything. No, but like when you when you when you when you're able to tear down that wall, you can find out how you can actually help someone. For sure. Because if you just go to someone and say, "Hey, how can I help you?" It's like, "No, oh, I'm fine. I'm good." Right? Like that's or that's our natural. In, that's right? our natural response. Yeah. Or, or what they're interested. interested in. If I knew that you liked kite surfing, the next time I went, I would invite you. Right. And so I have a list, and I literally have context on everyone in my life and what they like, how I met them, and who the else they know that like the same shit. Yeah. How do you track all of that? Well, we used to use Gist, but <laughs> now I just use a CRM. Okay. What CRM do you use? Streak. Streak. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Just met the founder of Streak at a. Well, not the founder. One of the one of the guys at Streak. Randomly. Yeah, I mean, Streak mixed with insane tagging in my address book. Yeah. Like I'm like my, my address book is name, talent. Yeah. Like what skill set do they have? I have them all coded. So it's code, marketer, developer, like um and then how we met. And then I write all these like tags on things I remember about each person. Mm -hmm. But I have tags across everyone. So I can then search surf and have 20 people show up. Right. I can search a bar and have 10 people show up. And it's like, I go to the bar too much. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's like that kind of matrix of tagging that I'm obsessed with. That's what we were obsessed with with Gist is like, how do you add context to all your relationships when you have too many relationships? Sure. Um, and it gets hard. Like, well, but if you have a system and you make it a habit yeah. of, of categorizing each one. Yeah, and a habit of then also an them. hour of day spending following up with them. Yeah. Like it's work, an hour talk, a day. Talk to me about the follow up. And, and the and the actual um, process that you have, um, or I guess I would call it more of like the habit that you've developed. This is all TA. I mean, this is how GIST worked. Yeah. And watching him f be obsessed with relationships yeah. in a way where he's not like the, he's, we're different. He's like IQ and I'm like EQ. Yeah. I mean, he's genius EQ too, but like he does it in like a militant, I'm a professional athlete. I got to spend an hour a day following up people. I do it in like an emotional intelligence. How can I do something to be helpful that starts a conversation where we kind of then get deeper and have a more interesting kind of, you know, kind of talk and then we trust each other more. Yeah. Uh, and and but, when, when you're doing that, are, are you in the back of your mind thinking maybe someday this guy or, or girl could be X, Y, Z in my life? Or are you purely just saying, how can I just deepen this relationship at this moment? I mean, both, right? I think at all times, everyone's like, in our world, everyone's optimizing for something, Sure, right? I'm optimizing for the type of people you want to be around and spend time with because they have similar interests or way different interests, but their motivation is the same. They have the same ambitions. They really want to go get shit done. Uh, and you know, they love, they believe in their family. They spend a lot of time just, they're good people. Yeah. But the list is a list that I have, which is, who at what time in the future could I do something with, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether it's just have a conversation. And if it's none, then why the fuck are you talking? <laughs> really? Right. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of like, you're kind of defaulting to that when you meet someone the first time of like, is this someone you want to spend time with again? Why? If it's someone you want to work with again, then, you know, I definitely spend more time on that list because you never know when timing is going to happen when you go start a new company. And for someone else that you've met that you think would be amazing to start a company with, to have the same break of time 
to be able to start a company with you and not have something else going on, another company, another thing is very low. Very small. So the bigger that list is, the better. Yeah. And so that list for me is huge. And I've been building it for seven, eight, nine years. And like, I spend a ton of time making sure that I'm always staying in contact and being relevant with that list. What do you, uh, what do you say to someone who, who hasn't been doing that? You know, maybe they connect with someone with link, you know, on LinkedIn afterwards, maybe they throw a business card into a shoebox, uh, which may or may not find their way to their, to their CRM, but maybe the tagging doesn't happen. Uh, what do you say to that person now? Uh, don't do that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time and I, it turned out to be the most powerful thing I did, which is when I got into not asking, mm-hmm. but it's totally ironic because I started to ask. So when I started ask, can you give me the 30 second pitch on ask, ask interviews, uh, has turned into something a lot bigger, start by asking, but it, we help design products and experiences that help people learn by asking the right questions. Uh, ask interview series is me just asking one personal question to someone that leads to a conversation and I email people. And so what the key learning is I was doing this when I was 20. Yeah. And I remember my first interviews, they were just like, they were horrible, but I was just, I had a content platform and I had a channel and I had something that I could ask someone to join and tell their story, not mine. And everyone does it. Right? Everyone in this industry has an ego and they want to tell their story, whether or not you're big or not, who the fuck knows? So I just started asking Yeah, and everyone kept saying yes. And then the minute I got like people in our industry, it was like Jason Fried did it. And then Gary V did it. And then the head of the fucking Navy joined. And I was like, I just kept asking people to join. And then Robert Stevens, who now works with me, I met him because I asked, but when you have a reason to ask somebody to tell their story on a platform, whatever it is. Like there's so many ideas around this. I think like what tools do you use would be really fascinating. So I'm going to build that blog so I can just see like the list of tools that everyone uses. Yeah. What is your story? What is your personal life? Whatever it is to let someone else tell their story Yeah. is the single greatest way to get someone to say yes. It's what you're doing to me right now. Like it's this. You're doing it. That's like some judo judo shit right, right? there. It's, but yeah. you know people will yeah. say yes Inception. that you might not other have had access to. It's sure. the reason you do it. You get to learn, but you get to really connect. If you emailed me again or text me, I would always respond now, right? Yeah. We're on a different level. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time at all. Sure. I was just like getting into it. I was like, man, every time I get off an interview, I don't like it's so different than what I thought about the world. I'm like, fuck, everything I yeah, learned in exactly. life is ridiculous. And then I was like, shit. I'm getting yeses from everybody or it took me like six months and I got the process down. And then I was like, all right, how do you really make this into something where from there to follow-ups to getting personal, to adding value, to never asking them for anything, but always staying in touch could build out a network where you can actually create friendships and bonds and trust and then work together with people or just become friends with people. But I never started by like wanting something from them because if you walk in the door with a question, needing advice, Mm -hmm you're always perceived as a, at, it's not levels, but they have a perception of you and you have a perception of them. Yeah. So I would say never be a fan. And so that's kind of the, the way that I think about it and the way that it's kind of happened. And now like I'll never, I go to the people that I've worked with or know to ask for like advice or mentorship, but that's never who I go to in the public. You'll never see me do an AMA. Right. Like I, I just don't do them. Like I don't, as a, as a contributor or as a, a asker, 
Because okay, I'm I not the one that's like, how do I do marketing? Like, who the fuck fucking cares? Go in the back room with someone you trust that I actually teach you. Yeah. Or go work for someone that does a great marketing. And so I never think about it. And a person I don't know, I want to go seek knowledge from. Yeah. I think it's the biggest fail. It's the biggest fail at conferences. It's the biggest fail in networking. Like, I hate the word networking. It's yeah. so terrible. And you yeah. see a line to go ask someone a question. Absolutely. And really, half the time, they just want to pitch their shit. And that person's not going to fucking remember. Like, they didn't even know you. And they have a hundred other people. And so I think it's a, the largest fail is when people do that. And, and so instead, you're encouraging people to ask what kind of question? No, to give, to do things that let that person tell their story. Yep. And not be the one seeking uh, advice. Yeah. Advice should come, in my opinion, in a back room with someone you've trusted or worked with for a while that can really help you. Or if you can't get it and you don't have those relationships, you should go work for a person you want to be. Yeah. That's it. That's great advice. That's it. I think the single worst advice in the world is work for a job title. And the single best advice that colleges don't tell you is pick five people in the world you would want to be and do anything in the world to work for them. Because mm-hmm. people change trajectory of careers, not titles ever. Yep. Titles are bullshit across all. If you need them in structure, I completely believe that in corporations and companies, you need titles that you can put on your resume, but to, but a director of product and a director of product at three different companies means nothing. Yeah. Right. And so titles become kind of just worthless. Uh, there's no accreditation to a title. There's accreditation to Stanford and Western Illinois where I went like, who the fuck's Western? Like he went to Stanford. He's better. Like that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Not in job titles. And so you get out and you have this thing and you're still reproving yourself. But when you find someone like I got really lucky to find TA and like he took my direct trajectory from here to here. And that was it. I was like, fuck, what the, like, I don't even know what my title was, but working for him has been the single greatest trajectory change in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of something that no one talks about. Well, and, and you mentioned, you mentioned the, I don't even know where the fuck we're at. I think I got so off track. No, I, I think we're 100% on track because oh, th- this is your, uh, superpower that you're developing. And I, I think that dissecting it and helping entrepreneurs understand that relationships are important and it's a discipline. Uh, for them to do and that before raising a round of funding, you know, maybe they don't have seven years to do this, but if they have seven months before they think they're going to start raising around, they should start today. Yeah. You know, start by doing the right things today and you're only going to get better. I, I, I do like the fact that TA treats the relationship aspect almost like a pro- professional athlete. It is. Because, I mean, that's how I've become. Yeah. I never, cause it's, it's hard sometimes to think about the process of looking through all your contacts, seeing if there's news about them, seeing if there's stuff to follow up on, seeing if there's things you remember, like, oh shit, getting, getting all your follow-ups back. I mean, my inbox every day has 25 follow-ups mm-hmm. cause I like have, I'm obsessed with following up. Sure. And I think it's the single greatest thing you can do. People that don't follow up, they're like the, I hate it. Trust me, insane. Uh, and that alone takes hours, Yeah, but it doesn't feel like work. Do you schedule it? Uh, I used to, but now I just do it. It's the yeah. first thing I do when I wake up and it's the first yeah. thing I do before I go to bed. So you had to schedule it until you developed the habit. Yeah. And now it's, it's just part and of it. And it didn't feel like work. Right. It never did. I was like, yeah. like, is someone looking at me? And TA's like, no dude, that's work. He's like, this will pay off. This is the core of everything you'll do. What does life, uh, depend on to make decisions? I was like, I don't know. He's like people. That's it. Everything in your life will be determined by what someone else says yes or no to deals, hiring, decisions, product, trusting you when they join your team, they still want to work for you. And I was like, he's like, it's it. He's like, whether or not they work for you or you work for them or they fund you or they trust you or you burn a bridge. He's like, it's it. People, decisions, it's all the whole life. And he's like, so spend fucking time on it. <laughs> I was like, all right. 
Thanks for listening to Powder Keg Igniting Startups. I wanted to take a minute to make sure you know that this episode is powered by Verge, a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent outside of Silicon Valley. Verge has hosted more than a thousand entrepreneurs to pitch their companies at our events around the world. Those founders have gone on to raise more than $500 million in capital collectively and are disrupting industries, creating wealth, and changing the world. And if you haven't subscribed to Powder Keg yet, it's not too late. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, iTunes, Google Play, all of the major outlets. And you can find all of the links to subscribe as well as show notes and transcripts at our website, powderkeg.com. So that's powderkeg, all one word, dot com. If you have an iTunes account, we've created a handy link for you. Just go to powderkeg.com slash iTunes. That's going to take you directly to our show where you can subscribe, leave a review, and see all of the incredible episodes from past guests, including Brian Clark at Rainmaker, based in Boulder, Colorado, Karen Nartman at Upfront Ventures in Los Angeles, California, and Max Yoder at Lessonly in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's your subscribes and reviews that help us reach more people and share these founder stories from beyond Silicon Valley. So again, that's powderkeg.com slash iTunes. Back to the show. So when you're, I'm going to bring it back to the the raising funding part, yeah. and I want to make sure that we're uh, keep an eye on time here. But the way that you quote unquote pitch is it's, it's not a traditional pitch. You're not in there, you know, going to 85 people with a deck in hand and saying the same thing at every single piece. Is that right? Not a lot. Yeah. yeah not I've a never lot. actually raised with a deck. Okay. I didn't have a deck. Yeah. I let them play with the product beforehand and they got it. It's like photos of the new review. Uh, that was kind of the, the, it was a really easy, I think sim- simplicity of pitch is cr- critical mm-hmm. cause they just grasp it. Boom, done. And by the time I got on the phone, I think the, the best way is to, to tell, to tell the story of how long you've been doing it. Cause people forget that the moment you're showing the product, no one else knows that you've done it for nine months. Right. They're like, Oh, you just built this in a day. It's great. <laughs> Telling the story of how you discovered this. And having the moment, usually three months before that day, of when you figured something out, one thing that was so big and different, you're like, holy shit, this works in every city in the world. Yelp's in a hundred. I remember saying that a fucking hundred times, right? That was the line. Yeah. Because we figured out how to mine every Instagram photo in the world to be a better rating system than Yelp. Okay. That's crazy. It, it wasn't possible three years ago. Yeah. The photo data didn't exist three years ago. Right. And Yelp's only in a hundred cities and it's a $5 billion company. Ridiculous statement. We're like two guys with an app. Right. But that moment is what everyone could grasp. It was simple. And it was like, we've just did this and we kind of hacked this and we had a V1 thing. We threw it out and you kind of like show a failure story, the discovery story and the fucking oh shit. And the oh shit is the most where it's going to be so dialed, so simple. That's the only thing I repeated. Yeah. I was like, dude, photos of the new review. Holy shit. Why the fuck would I go to Yelp? There's so many like negative people just screaming negative shit. Photos are always positive. If people say they like it, this is the better fucking rating and it works everywhere in the world. And like the people are like, fuck yeah, fuck shit, dude. You know, it was amazing. And like, but that is the, that flow. And the come, the come up, you see all excited I just yeah. Like I was like, it was fucking real. I was like, fuck. I mean, I do believe it. And the thing that helped us out a ton was it was the holidays and everyone was traveling yeah. and it really fucking worked everywhere in the world. So the investors were like, dude, I'm in Seoul, South Korea and it works. I'm like, no shit, fucker. I told you. And they're like, I want in. You know, it was like, it, we were lucky. It was actually a really interesting, like everyone was in Paris and London and they were like, dude, it works <laughs> in London. I'm like, 
yeah, two. We built it. Like, <laughs> that's cool. Man, that's awesome. I, I think there's some nuance. I think there's some nuance the way that you position that too, in that you let people come to their own conclusion about it as opposed to telling them we're going to be the next Yelp. You didn't say those words. Yeah. You said, you know, Yelp is in Yelp is in every city and we're, we're a better rating system. And you set up much more eloquently than I just did. You know, you know why Garth Brooks is the best performer in the world? Why is that? Because after every song, he acts surprised. He always acts surprised that everyone still loves his songs. The key to the moment when you let them like digest it is for you were just so surprised that it was that big. It, it actually worked. You couldn't believe it. Mm. Not being able to be like, I, I couldn't fucking believe it. It worked everywhere. That, that mentality is so powerful of a human emotion to show gratitude mm. and surprise that it, no one thinks about. And I'm upset. Well, I'm a musician. So I do it on stage all the time. We're like, sure. can't believe anyone showed up. Like that, <laughs> that is, if you go to a Garth Brooks show, He's just one of the single best performers in the world. He's the most highest grossing musician, I think, ever. I'm not a country so, fan, but I'm going to go to one now. He's incredible. Yeah. And after every song, he'll stand there, always sold out. And he's just like, and he'll draw it out forever. And it's like gratitude with like, I can't believe this is real. That emotion takes wins. Yeah. No one hates him. And it's the single most powerful emotion to draw people in. Because I didn't say, like, we're better than Yelp. That's ego. Right. I said, I, fuck, I can't believe Yelp's only in 100 cities. It works everywhere. That emotion is huge. That's huge. relatable. And uh, that's, like, no, that's like real deep psychology shit. But the, that's emotions that, when it's real, you can tell. You can tell that, like, I wasn't bullshitting you there. Because I got excited about, like, literally we built this shit. And it works in fucking Seoul, South Korea. Yeah. Like, we were like, Wow. So, it, it, but I think it's one of the most powerful things. Absolutely. Um, that no one talks about. That's like never talked about of that. They go in with like, tell them you're the most confident. And I never do that. You can feel my confidence, but I'm never saying my words of like, I'm the best. We're going to win. They suck. I don't take anybody else out. Mm -hmm. It's just draw. And, and at the same time, you're taking yourself out. Totally. Along the way. Exactly. Oh, that's great. So what, what was the number one thing that surprised you about raising this last round of funding for you when you're out quote unquote pitching, which wasn't actually pitching because you weren't asking the a round. Yep. Um, I mean, our a round was for having nothing. Like we were just getting started and connecting so instantly with the lead investor, Jonathan, who also was Snapchat, Tinder, Instagram. Like the dude is just like clockwork. Um, we closed in eight days. We did most of the negotiation through a group text message. <laughs> Me and Jonathan and Justin, the other partner, all through mostly text. That's great. So text and screenshots. I'd like screenshot stuff from my lawyer. I'd ask a question. And uh, we ended up with great terms for both sides. And I was so surprised that we could go from, we met, I introduced to my team and we met again and we signed a term sheet in eight days. It was a Thursday and we signed on a Friday. And you, what's the number one thing that you attribute that to? Who I got the intro from. And two things. One is luck because every investor right now has messaging on their, on their like, 
I need to invest in a messaging company. Sure. So I feel like every A investor is like, shit, there's this one, there's this one, there's this one. I need one. They already got A rounds. And so in that, in that thing, I would imagine that binary capital, who's our A round lead already had this, like, we need to find a messaging company. And so yep. because we hit it off, we were already in there. Like we need this. So that's the key is like, if you're not in there, then you're fucked anyways. That's where it yeah. sucks. It's like, it could be amazing. You hit it off and they draw you along. Um, I also didn't need it at all. Yeah. Had 1.1 mil still in the bank and I was able to just sell the team. Yeah. All I talked about was the team that I've worked with before. Right. And which is built from relationships. Yeah. And the space. Yeah. It's all my ex people that I've worked with in the last companies and the space in which we get excited about. And the product was really good. The demo was great. And like it worked really well, et cetera. But I think it was, they had another roadmap. Yeah. And Brian Johnson introed me. So Brian Johnson. So I also think about this is I think the strongest way to network is to be thought of as the, for me, my personality is to be the person who makes people have fun. Yeah. Cause then when they have fun in the future, they'll invite me, which is how you get closer to people. Right. And when they have fun, they'll think of me. So Brian Johnson flew here with, a, with flew here and came to my concert, my last show. That's awesome. He then goes to Necker. He's in Necker Island. Him, Branson and Jonathan, our lead investor yeah. are partying. He's like, you would love Shane calls me FaceTime from Necker with them. That's and it's like, yo, you got to meet Jonathan. Then I'm like, well, introduce us. I get a three-way text from Brian, Jonathan, me. And that's what led to our first meeting. And that's what closed the around. And I think Jonathan really respects Brian because Brian's just sold Brian tree for like $650 million. Like yeah. he, so that tree and how I met Brian was through Robert Stevens, who I interviewed for ask. And it all goes back to just who I asked to interview for ask on Twitter. Really? The Twitter approach. <laughs> Twitter is a, is the reason I you could tie the A round back to a tweet from 2010. That's where crazy. I asked Robert Stevens, "Can I interview you about Geek Squad to be on uh, the Ask Interview Show?" He came on, and now he's our COO. Now he works with me. That's awesome. Yeah, because of a tweet. Well, congrats, man, on on all the progress so far. I, I'm not going to say con too much congrats because I know that uh, raising the round isn't everything. But congrats on building the product, building an awesome team. Uh, really, thank you so much for um, taking the time to tell the story. I, I think that we could talk about this forever, man. Like, yeah. uh, I, I especially the aspect around the psychology of making instead of you wanting to be connected with someone else, the the psychology that we've talked about is sort of that, um, like that inception of you getting them to want to you. want you. I mean, this is, this is the, there's keeping up with relationships. And once you meet someone and who the intro was or the environment, I mean, I'm huge on like playing music, right? Yeah. So you don't ever play a show. If you're going to have 50 people, you do it in a 30 person venue. Yeah. Right? Right. Like the last one was 450 people. We did it in a 300 person venue. Right. Cause you never want to, you know, have a thing where it looks like no one wanted to be there. Demand should always outpace supply. Yeah. And so. When you first meet someone and how to manufacture intros, mm -hmm. this is what I'm also obsessed with. And so, I don't know, the be you want me to tell the Daniel story. So, the best one that I've done recently, and I'll caveat this with, you should not do this if you have malicious intent. Right. This is, I don't know somebody. I think that 
if we knew each other and our companies had something aligned, there's something we could do in the future. Yeah. Well, what I'm not going to do is walk in the door and say, I think there's something we can do in the future right. or check out my company. Right. right. So I went, we're in the travel space. So I went to the number one travel conference and I was like, I made friends with the person who was running the conference and she let me just sit backstage. Yeah. So I'm at the conference skiffed and every 15 minutes, a new CEO is going to go on stage. And I'm just sitting out there talking to him. Bullshit. Mostly about my tattoo with Daniel. He's the CEO of Lonely Planet. Sam Shank was there with Hotel Tonight. I knew he invested in Kayvon. So I was periscoping and then I got him to ask about Periscope. So then we're talking about Periscope. Never even followed up. Followed up with him. Sam was our investor in our A round. And like that one just happened. I stayed in touch with Sam, but that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. Then Daniel, I was like, Lonely Planet's fascinating. They're a book company that wants to become a tech company, I think. We're kind of building this. People are more like guidebooks. He's a fucking guidebook. I don't know <laughs> what we're going to do in the future, but it seems like there's something here where he has this global brand. He's a new CEO. He was young. That like I would like to know him, how to be a better CEO. How is he running this 500-person company yeah. as a 28-year-old? I was like, this is crazy. So he goes on stage. He comes off. We talk about, he asked me about my tattoo. Uh, cause I like cross paths with them, right? It's like set myself up to cross paths with them. I didn't say anything about a speech. I just act like I knew nothing about him. Yeah. And, uh, I then he was talking about his wife's tattoo. And so we talked about violin and cello and stuff. Yeah. And I just said, Hey, if I'm ever in Nashville, you know, I'll let you know. I said, cool. So I then proceed to email Daniel like three months later. I said, it, it, right afterwards, I said, great meeting you, you know, if I'm in Nashville three months later, last December, I said, Hey, Daniel, I think I'm going to be in Nashville, January 21st to the 24th, Wednesday through Saturday. How far ahead of time was this? Like a month, okay. three weeks. And then uh, he's like, dude, if you're here on Thursday, it's a great cocktail. It's like, great. That's all it said. There was no ask. It was one sentence in an email. He's like, yeah, I never respond to random request. You know, I was like, but I remember this guy and we talked about the tattoo. So I booked my ticket after the email. For three weeks, I research everything about Daniel. Yeah, I research Lonely Planet as a company, how this younger guy got put in as CEO, who the new owner is. But I went deeper, and I was like, I went to see who the first person he ever followed on Twitter was. Hmm. It was Chase Jarvis, yeah. who's one of my investors, and like a friend of mine. He's been to ask, and he's just a mentor. He's awesome. Seattle roots. So yeah. So then I looked deeper. Daniel used to work at the Seattle Times. He was a photographer. So I'm like, all right, photojournalist. I told Chase, I'm like, do you know Daniel? He's like, oh, I don't think so. And then I was like, look him up. So Daniel had applied for Chase's course in 2009 and he didn't get it. So I'm like, all right, he loves Chase. Yeah. He loves photography. He's a CEO who just had to fire a hundred people. So he's in this space and we're going to go have cocktails. So I go into this meeting and the way I do it is if at the end of it, I think we're going to be better connected. I'll do this. Yeah. But I also have an intention to tell them that I did this to him in the future, which I have told Daniel. Right. So I go to this meeting acting like I know nothing about Daniel and I walk into the lonely planet and I fly to Nashville. I go there. We're just hanging out. And, uh, he's like, let's go have a cocktail. We go have a cocktail. And so I broke out 15 minute blocks of time for two hours. Where were you hanging out before the cocktails? Uh, at the, their office, at their office, okay. the headquarters. Yeah. And we go upstairs to the sweet bar and we sit down having cocktails at the bar. And I knew that if I started talking about snowboarding, mm. that he would start talking about a snowboarding film company he bought, which would let me to talk about the fact that I know chase because I have a friend that does video shit too. So I set this up and the whole point of that is instantly he has more interest in me than I have in him. 
And so I, he, I start talking about snowboarding. He's like, man, dude, I, I just bought this company. Lonely Planet. Like we bought this freaking video company. Check this shit out. So he shows me this action film on his phone. I'm like, dude, one of my fucking like best boys and one of my investors at our company does shit like this all over the place. And he's like, who's that? And I was like, this guy named Chase Jarvis. And he was like, you know, Chase Jarvis. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So I had Chase set up. So I text Chase and Chase writes back and he's like, what's up? Love Lonely Planet. And I was like, yeah, great. Pre-planned. So then 15. What, was this pre-planned? Uh, no, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I had it all pre-planned. Even the demo was pre-planned. Nice. And so then the next hour I just dug deep. I was like, man, I was like, we decided to lay off 45 people at my last company. Like that was the fucking worst. Started talking about it. And then he got deep and then we went really deep into like how shitty it is to lay people off and like how much planning you have to do and how it sucks. And like, he's like, I just started crying when I got on a plane after I was done. I was like, fuck me too. Like all this shit. I was got to a place where then we had this fucking bond. Yep. Hour and a half later, we're like three whiskeys in. He's like, what the fuck do you do? And I was like, oh, we just have this fucking app. We think guides are, you know, people are the new guidebooks. Yeah. And I was like, here, it's called assist. He does it. He just messages this thing. Instantly connected with a local. It's yep. a beautiful card. He realizes we've integrated all these APIs. You can book lifts, order reservations, book a hotel, all within a chat. Yeah. Someone's giving him like a real personal local experience, which is everything else. What, what did he about. search for initially when, uh, when he got uh, on? A sushi date with him and his wife ah. uh, in San Francisco. And so and it keeps going, keeps going. Then you can leave a tip. We're going to go to Apple Pay. And like the, the demo is sexy as hell. Yeah. It's online. And uh, he just sits back and he goes, Holy shit. And I'm like, what is he like? He's like, how the fuck did you, how many people are you? How big is your team? How much have you raised? And I was like, oh, you know, like we did a little seed round and blah, 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 blah. And we just do this whole story. And then, you know, that was nah, eight months ago, nine months ago. I mean, since then, Daniel and I talk every other day. And about four months ago, he was in San Francisco. We went out and got drinks. I was like, let me just tell you that I knew everything about you when I met you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, here's how I break down. Was he surprised? Uh, I don't think so. Cause he, afterwards he was just like, I, I think it, the truth is if you're honest about it, yeah. then they're like, fuck, that's clever. <laughs> yeah. I should be more like that. Right. I should be better disciplined about like how I get in the door. Yeah. Uh, it's like, if you go to a bar, I'm not going to sit down next to her. I'm always going to sit down next to the girl Yeah. because then you're just like setting yourself up to like, you know, run into each other, but I'm never going to talk to her. I'm only going to talk to the bartender about something that I think she'll ask about. Cause if she asks me, then she's a predator. If I ask her, I'm the predator never be the predator. And so I, I like, but I think about this all the time. It's crazy because I'm like, I never need to be the one that's seeking. Uh, but you're always trying to get someone to seek. That's a, that's like a perfect example of bringing that philosophy to life. And I'm, I appreciate you sharing it because I think that if more people took the time and yeah. the discipline to use even just some of those strategies in order to better get to know someone and have a better opportunity of connecting. Yeah. Um, I'm just more open about it. Right. Yeah. Like most people would be like, Oh, I just ask a lot of questions. Like, okay, fuck off. Like, yeah, I ask right. a lot of questions, but like I've done a fuckload of research too. Yeah. And I'm not sitting there pitching. So I knew exactly what questions to ask to get to an emotional trust level. Like there's a very big difference than that. And letting like feeding somebody's ego. Like, how did you start your company? Like, I don't ask that. Right. So I can talk about snowboarding or you lead someone down a path where you know, you're going to get to something that you mutually have in common, which is very different. Yeah. Uh, and no one does it. And they think like, it's not work or bit like that's all it is. And as long as you're not at the end of the tunnel, what worry? He's like, I fucking like your product. I was like, I like your brand. I hate your products. He's like, that's cool. And you know, like it, they have an amazing brand and they're a huge travel brand. And it's a CEO who I want to know to learn from and respect. And now he's become one of my friends. That's awesome. Uh, and I think that, and friends and like trust is how business gets done, to be honest with you. When you like get in the back rooms, it's all just like 
that's how that's how things happen. Well, that's that's how you close around, and that's how you you don't have to pitch. Yeah, I mean that's a, it's one strategy. I'm not saying it's the only. The best strategy is you build a product that just takes off and people are chasing you. Right. Then you do whatever you want. Sure. But if you don't have that happen, which is hard as hell and it doesn't always happen, a the lot other of strategy luck, luck is involved. a even, lot of even if relationships great. and building and trust, so that w- you can do it even if you don't have the traction needed. Yeah. Which is more of the scenario that we were in. Is there one connection, uh, like like the connection with the CEO of Lonely Planet? Um, is, is there one in particular that sticks out in your mind as uh, a key connection that you made? And then how did you get that connection? Um, like, I mean, Robert Stevens, he's the founder of Geek Squad. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like a $4 billion company now. He started on a bicycle in Minnesota. <laughs> I asked him to do an interview for Ask on Twitter. He said, yes, I interviewed him. I then invited him to the ass dinner where Andrew Warner was a moderator Yep. with a bunch of people that he thought were more influential or as influential as him. The founder of geek, the founder of, uh, or the host of Mythbusters was there. He was there. A big venture capitalist was there. Chase was there all and like all. And then Andrew was the moderator. And the only thing we do at ask is you can't have a phone. You can't record anything. You can only write in a notebook and everything's going to be insanely personal. Mm-hmm. And we just, it goes deep. It's like, it's insane. And actually it's kind of a little too aggressive, but <laughs> it gets, per- everyone leaves there with a mutual different respect they had for everyone in the room than ever before. So he came. So then him and I afterwards, he wrote me this note of like, holy shit, never been anything like that. And then we just kept, kept sharing ideas. He became a mentor of mine. And then when it came to really get him to join assist, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went all in. I was like, I love this guy. I could do nothing else to have a person on our side that loves messaging as much as we do, loves the business messaging space. And we, I went like to the, it was hard actually. I got to the point where I was chasing him because I was, he had a lot of other options, you know? Yeah. Were, were you and like noticing it and being like, oh man, I got to pull back? 100%. Yeah. It was really hard actually. It's hard when you like, you want to hire a mentor. Right? Yeah. It's different. Even working with a mentor is hard. I think we've had to learn how I'm, I'm no, like we both have opinions, but it's not like, oh wait, Robert, what do you want to do? And, you know, like, no, no, like we're both here together now. Yeah. Much different, right? Uh, yeah. I, so we did a handwritten scribe. I don't even know if you want me to tell it. So like yeah. our hiring, our culture is very much built on, uh, he walked me to the wave organ. The first conversation we ever had, it's a cool site in San Francisco. It looks over to Alcatraz. Yeah. And when the I remember seeing in, Instagram it, photos it plays of that. the organ. Yeah. And so we actually had, uh, walked there and I had a handwritten scribe on handwritten paper. Cause he loved making handwritten paper and notebooks and stuff with a calligraphy writer, write his welcome letter sign it to his wife. So I love his wife. Like she loves, we get along well. Yeah. And then I signed it with Eminem's one shot opportunity lyrics at the end. That's awesome. It was like a two page scroll in a box that is engraved with our logo with a handwritten, with a notebook that has a handwritten letter from me engraved in it uh-huh. with two keys inside that makes they're exactly our logo diecast. And one's you and one's a team and together you make the company. Cause a lot of the things I was inspired by to do that were how he built Geek Squad. That's mm-hmm. so why he had the uniforms and why he had the logo in the bottom of the shoe. So when everyone walked around with mud on their feet, it would leave the logo all over the place. <laughs> it's like, he was always obsessed with like things that made them feel like secret agents together. Yeah. And I, so I was like, how do I build that culture? And I was doing it, but it was based on his, so then I just did it to him and then he joined. That's incredible. So it was, uh, it was a lucky day. It was 
it was cool. So it's yeah. cool to be able to sit next to that guy every day and, you know, jamming ideas with. Yeah, man. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys do next. And, um, and I think that once you get through that next stage, whatever it is, I uh, would love to have another conversation and anytime talk through it. No, I love it. I mean, if there's anything I can do, I think my style is very suited to my personality. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's the only way at all. Actually, I don't think it, a lot of people do it this way. Right. Um, it's just the way that I know and it's worked for me, you know, but it's, I look at life as solely based on relationships and who you spend time with and I optimize for it. And so like, that's all I think about and all day is like how to add value to, to someone that no one else is adding value to in that way. That's why I never ask a marketer about marketing or sales guy about sales. Like you'll learn, you'll learn if you're close enough with somebody by observing. Yeah. But you gotta get close to them first. Absolutely. Well, Hey man, I appreciate it. Hey, anytime, I think we're due for another beer. Hey, sure. <laughs> Thank you, man. That's it for our interview with Shane Mack, but that does not have to be the end of the conversation. Shane is one of the most prolific entrepreneurs on Twitter, Instagram, all the social platforms. You can find him at Shane Mack. That's Shane M-A-C on all of those platforms. And you can find his company at Assist on those platforms as well. So make sure you check those out. I also really recommend you check out his interview series, Ask, and you can find all of those interviews at startbyasking.com. And for more stories on entrepreneurs, leaders, and top talent outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. You'll want to subscribe because we have some great guests coming up, so don't miss it. We've also got a helpful companion website at powderkeg.com. You're going to find show notes there with all the links and contact information we mentioned in the episode, as well as some other useful articles and interviews from the Powderkeg community. So thanks for listening, and you'll be hearing from us real soon.